The Lord has called His church to be a people who pray. So His house, this gathering, we want to be a house of prayer for all nations. And that's in loving obedience to our King, to Jesus. And so today we're beginning 21 days of, uh, of fasting and prayer. I want to encourage you to make the most of these three weeks. Make the most of it. Um, this could be... And I believe in God that it could be one of the biggest seasons of your life as far as your relationship with Christ. It'll be as impactful for you as you let it be. One thing we learn from the Scriptures is that the Lord says you'll seek for me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so what He's telling you is you're going to get as much of God as you want. So this season, these three weeks, I just want to encourage us to go all in, to go hard after God. Prayer changes things. You believe that? Prayer changes things. In prayer, we we join in on God's sovereign activity. That's the most difficult thing for me to understand. I can't get, I don't understand how God can be sovereign and yet include me, my measly little me in my prayers in his sovereign activity. I don't understand it. I just know that's how it works. Prayer changes situations. Prayer changes people. Prayer um, sometimes changes the course of nature. Prayer can stop and start rain. Prayer can make the sun stand still. All of the change that prayer works, the biggest change will be in you. When we pray, God is working to change you. He wants to change your mind, your heart, your will. His aim is to draw you close, to make you more like Himself. So the objective of prayer is not to change God. It's not like we we need to tell him something he needs to do. The Bible says God knows our needs before we ask him. Our objective is not to change God, but to align myself with him, with his purposes, with his will. The Lord says in Isaiah 41, 13, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I'm the one who helps you. God is your helper. So we run to God because we're weak. I don't know if you get that. I don't, I don't know if that sets on you wrong. But here's the thing. The reason we pray is because we need. We need Him. We are weak. We need God. When, when we don't pray, we think too highly of ourselves. I don't know if you know that you're weak. The bearer of some bad news for a minute. You're weak and you need God. I'm weak and that's why I need God. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he says, um, For when I am weak, then I am strong. The, the point of that verse is, is not that God makes you stronger independent of Him. It's that when you run to God and you take refuge in God, you, you're... You're stronger because He's got you. You have His strength. It's not that you're stronger. It's that in your reliance and dependence on Him, 
you're stronger. It reminds me of, I think I've told you this story before, but I'll tell you again just because it's fun. Um, my daughter was running from a mean dog one time, barking. And she's just scared out of her mind. She's running. She runs to me and she runs and just jumps up in my arms and finds with me the security she needs. Well, the dog's still coming. And I'm prepared to kick it in the face because that's what good dads do, right? And, uh, but I'm holding my little girl. And all of a sudden, she went from terror to... She turned around and she said, Get out of here, dog! <laughs> with, with a really strong confidence. Well, where did that come from? Was she all of a sudden stronger and able to fight a dog? No. It was because in my arms, she found strength. The crazy thing is... When we posture ourselves in our own weakness, and our own dependence, that's where we find strength. It's not that you're stronger in and of yourself. It's that in the arms of the Almighty, you are strong. That's what prayer does is it postures us rightly. We are weak and when we come on our knees, that's when we are most victorious. Prayer is humility on display. And prayerless living is an evidence of pride. The Bible gives some strong warnings about our pride. It says the Lord will humble the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So our declaration today, I want you to declare this with me. We can do nothing without God. Will you say that with me? We can do nothing without God. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. We can do nothing without God. That's the reason we pray. So our collective request of God is this, Lord, teach us to pray. So we go to the scriptures in Luke 11. We'll study over the next three weeks. We're going to read from Luke 11 some and a little bit from Matthew 6. Next week we'll be in Matthew chapter 6. But in both places, the disciples come to Jesus with this request. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. That's our petition to God. Lord, teach us to pray. So as you find your place in Luke 11, would you stand with me? In honor of God's Word, I actually want to begin reading at the end of chapter 10. We're going to read from Luke 10, verse 38, all the way through Luke 11, verse 13. The Bible says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. But Martha was distracted. Say distracted. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion which, she, which will not be taken away from her. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when He had finished, 
one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and, and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Father, our prayer today is that you teach us to pray. We're at your feet and we really need to grow. We're not good at praying, Lord. We're just not. And so God, we pray today that you teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I want to be quick. Four keys to a growing relationship with God. I hope you have um, a copy of the sermon outline. I'm going to walk through this together. Four keys from this passage to a growing relationship with God. The first one is this. You have to choose to prioritize your relationship with Christ. You have to choose to prioritize your relationship with Christ. We see that Martha was distracted with a lot of serving. She was very busy. One thing we learn from Martha here in this text is that busyness does not equal godliness. I think many of us are, are deceived with that, that if I just stay busy, if I just keep going, keep doing it, we're like the, an energizer bunny. We just keep on pounding that drum, but nothing's happening. Busyness does not equal Godliness. One thing that blew me away about this, this little section of the Scripture is the word distracted. I think for a lot of us, the reason we don't have an incredibly intimate relationship with God is that we're so easily distracted. I don't know about you, but when I, when I go to pray, it's like everything in the world can captivate my attention. Just, and, and I'm so easily taken away. Like my little phone can go bing and all of a sudden I want to see why it's, why it's dinging or buzzing or whatever. Or, or kids or anything, anything can distract me. A random thought about what I ate or what I'm going to eat. I don't know what. I'm easily distracted. 
And life is that way too. We're, we're easily distracted by other things that we think are important. And what we learn from Jesus here is that uh, he says that Mary has chosen the one thing that's necessary. The one thing that's necessary. There's a lot of things to be busy with. We have to choose to prioritize our relationship with Christ. The Bible says Martha was distracted. That word um, is actually, its origin goes back to a French punishment, um, a torture. It's, the word is originated with a torture device used by the French. And what they would do is they, somebody they wanted to punish, they would take ropes and tie their limbs to these ropes and then tie the other end of the ropes to various animals. And when they wanted to punish them, they would smack the animals and have them run. And what happens? They get literally pulled in many directions. That's where this word gets its meaning. We're distracted. We're pulled in many directions. And that's what Jesus is saying about Martha. Is you're distracted. You're being pulled in a lot of different ways. And none of them are the way that really matters. Mary has chosen the one thing. When we look at what she chose. It says... Um, she had a sister, Martha had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. This is the one thing that Jesus said she's chosen, the one thing that's necessary and the one thing that will not be taken away. This is the thing that's going to last. Choose this. So first things, choose to prioritize your relationship with Christ. The second thing is we need to follow the Lord's pattern for prayer. So we're going to dig deep over the next two weeks into the Lord's prayer. The part that probably if you ever played middle school basketball or whatever, you've, you've knelt down and quoted with a team or in some different aspect, you've probably learned this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Raise your hand if you know that prayer. If you could quote it. I, Wow. All right, so it's the most memorized prayer of all time. It's often called the Lord's Prayer. It would probably be better named the Model Prayer. Jesus actually never prayed this prayer Himself. Why would He ever pray, forgive us our debts? He wouldn't pray that. So it's not a prayer that Jesus prays for Himself, but He gives a prayer to us as a model for how we should pray. And over the next few weeks... Two weeks in particular, we're going to dig deep into this prayer. Let me just give you the basic outline for it today and then we'll continue to move on because we'll dig into this the next two weeks. But the basic outline is this. This prayer is divided into two portions, two sections. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is to pray for the glory of God. God's glory. And then the next part, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That, we got God's glory, and that section is our good. Our good. God's glory, our good. We're taught to pray 
in these ways. And I think when we think big picture, anytime you pray, this is not a prayer that you have to quote every time you pray, but that paradigm, that model should be the model that you use to pray. Whatever you pray, it should be in these two ways. God, for your glory and for our good. For your glory, Lord. I'm asking these things, God, for your glory and for our good. For your glory, for our good. That's the model that Jesus gives to us. He, Jesus shows us that prayer matters by his personal prayer life. You know, his disciples, the reason they came to him and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, is because they'd seen him do it so many times. Uh, when I was growing up as a child, I may have told you this before. My wife tells me I have a habit of retelling stories, so I apologize. Um, get used to it. Um, but when I was a kid, I remember walking down the long hallway at my house, looking for my mom. Mom! Mom! And I'd open the door, push open the door to her bedroom, and I'd find her. There she'd be, Bible open, notepad on the bed, pen in the middle, glasses on the bed, and she's on her knees just praying. And I can hear the, the muttering. And I can remember pushing into the door, Mom! And I knew, even as a little boy, the holiness of that moment. And I just knew, oh, I don't want to interrupt Mom. Quietly close the door and back out. And whatever I had could wait. I imagine the disciples had a similar encounter with Christ repeatedly. They knew that prayer mattered. How'd they know that? Because they keep walking up on Jesus. And here He is. God, pray again. Jesus modeled a personal prayer life. I, I wonder, will your kids know that prayer matters because of your prayer life? This is how we teach. Things like this are caught more than they're taught, right? The reason these disciples wanted to learn how to do it is because they'd seen Jesus giving Himself to it. Jesus had lots of important things He could be doing. You know, walking on water, healing the lame, healing the blind, preaching to thousands, feeding thousands. Lots of really important things Jesus could be doing. But He never neglected this. He knew it mattered. And so did they. Because they had seen Him do it. So He modeled a prayer life and then He taught them using this model prayer. God's glory, our good. The third thing. We want to choose to prioritize our relationship with Christ. We want to follow the pattern for prayer. And then thirdly, we want to be persistent in prayer. There's a short little parable Jesus gives after He gives them a model for prayer. He tells a story. And He, he tells this parable of a friend needing bread in the middle of the night. This story doesn't make a ton of sense to us because we have big houses where our children, thank God, sleep in other rooms. <laughs> I'm very thankful for that um, just because I like to sleep and my kids, they kick a lot. But uh, in this day and age, they only had one little room. So the whole family, and it was a lot of people usually, lived in all in the same room. So can you imagine um, putting those kids to bed, getting them to sleep, getting everybody settled in, and it's quiet. And maybe mom and dad are kind of tiptoeing over, poking the fire, you know. Everybody gets settled in, and then finally, here comes this guy. Pounding on the door. 
as a dad and I've got everybody asleep, I can imagine myself going, what's going on? What is that? Quiet. Be quiet. And this guy at the, on the other side of the door is like, hey man, I need some bread. We got some friends coming in. I don't got anything to feed them. Can you give me some bread? Shh, no. Go away. Got the kids asleep in here. Shh, be quiet. I need bread, man. I got these friends. We don't have anything. Stop. Shh. Jesus actually says it's not because they're friends that he's going to get up and give him bread. Right? It's not the friendship. It's actually because of his impudence. And that word, we don't use it a lot, but it means shamelessly rude. (laughs) Isn't that funny? So when we read parables like this, our tendency sometimes is to try to figure out, okay, I guess I'm supposed to be in prayer. I'm supposed to be like the man knocking on the door. And is God like the guy inside, the dad? Is that who God is? That, That paradigm doesn't work well here. Jesus is teaching from our perspective only as the one knocking on the door. And what he's saying is persist, be persistent, continue, press on with passionate persistence. I think of two examples that I just want to highlight for us this morning. I mentioned one earlier, but James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 talks about Elijah. And what we, what we find out about Elijah is that he prayed fervently. James 5.16 or 5.17 says the, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's an old school translation. But look with me, if you will, at verse 17. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I love that phrase. I hold on to that. What he's saying is, he's like you and me. But look at what happened. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And look what happened. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah prayed fervently to stop the rain, and God stopped the rain. Then Elijah prayed to God start the rain, and God started the rain. It's an amazing thing that God welcomes, in, uh, welcomes us into His activity through prayer. So Jesus in this parable, He's suggesting that this kind of fervent, can't wait, won't stop, passionate praying is the way we ought to be praying. But I feel like most of the time for myself and probably for you, I'm just very casual. It's like I don't really believe that my prayers matter that much. I just... God, hey, you know, um, would you just, would you bless so-and-so? You know, if, I mean, if that's what you really want to do. I, I, thanks. Amen. Elijah prayed fervently that God would stop the rain. And God did it. Another one that I'm reminded of, of fervent, passionate, can't wait, won't stop, is Jacob. And in Genesis 32, the Bible says that Jacob wrestled with God. This is where God changed Jacob's name. God kind of gave him a swagger after that moment. I don't know if you're aware, but Jacob, after wrestling with God, he was kind of walking like this, you know. God uh, adjusted his hips on a little bit of chiropractic work there, I guess. I don't know. But the main deal here is that Jacob says to God in the middle of this wrestling match, which is 
Kind of outside of my understanding. But Jacob says to God, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. That's fervent, passionate, won't stop, won't quit, knocking on that door. I'm not going away until you come and give me what I need. Kind of praying. Do we pray like that? I wonder, do you pray like that? Jesus is saying, be passionately persistent in your praying. And then the last thing, trust God for provision. Trust God for provision. We pray with passion. We pray persistently. And then we trust God with the outcome. When we pray, who are we praying to? Jesus taught His disciples to pray a certain way. What are the first two words of that prayer? What are they? Our Father, and then what? Where? In heaven. Our Father in heaven. I'm going to do more teaching on this next week, but listen to this. Father denotes access. Access. Why can you talk to God? Why will He listen? Because He's your dad. Because in Christ, He has adopted you into the family. And because your voice matters, you're a son, you're a daughter of God. He's the king, so why should you be welcomed in His throne? Because He's your dad, our Father, who are in Heaven. Heaven denotes authority. If Father is access, heaven is authority. Who sits on the throne of glory? God sits on the throne of glory. He has all authority and all greatness. This is who we pray to. So in this last section of this text in Luke 11, Jesus is teaching us about the goodness of our Father who's in heaven. And he does that by giving a story contrasting the, the character, the nature of fathers. He says, he says, earthly fathers give good gifts. He says, which of you, dads, if your kid asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Here's your snake. <laughs> Who would do that, right? That's just creepy. Um, or if your kid asked for... Um, I forgot what else he said, but it would give him a scorpion. I mean, the scorpion of all things. Like that little tail that stabs people. A scorpion. This is creepy. Jesus says, which of you, dads, treat your children like that? That they ask for something and you give them something else that's bad. Snake and scorpion. I can't think of much worse. I hate them both, right? But the, the point of that, that little... Contrast is to say this. If even you know how to give good gifts, I love this phrase, how much more the Heavenly Father? How much more? Here's the contrast. We are evil. That's what he says. Even you being evil know how to give good gifts. We fathers are evil, but He is good. We have limited wisdom. 
I don't always know the best thing to give to my children. I, I want to know, but I don't always know the best way to raise my kids. I just don't always know the right answers. But guess what? He has infinite wisdom. He knows that when you ask for this, he probably shouldn't. He's not going to because he's not going to give it to you. It's not a good choice. He has infinite wisdom. We have limited ability. You know, I I can make promises. I can try to do things for my kids. But as a dad, there's just some things I can't do. I don't have the ability to do it. But our God makes promises and He's a promise keeper because He has infinite, unlimited ability. He has all power. He has all power. There's nothing He cannot do. The last contrast that I thought of was that we have imperfect love. I'm ashamed to admit it, but sometimes the things that I do as a dad for my children are selfishly motivated. Probably just me, I get it. We have imperfect love. He has perfect love. This is who our Father is. And Jesus says, how much more your heavenly Father. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. So I want to give you a picture of our good, good Father. Romans 8, verse 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God, God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, with Him, graciously give us all things? What we see here is the pinnacle of God's goodness. The pinnacle of God the Father giving His own Son so that He could welcome you into His family. This is the pinnacle. It's also a promise of continued goodness. We can look to the cross in the middle of our hurts and our difficult days and we can go, if God would give His own Son to save me, I can trust Him in this mess. The Bible says, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? We can trust God for our provision. He gives good gifts, and the greatest of them is His Son, Jesus. Our Heavenly Father is good. In spite of our brokenness, our being evil, He sent Jesus to die for us. And this is the best news you could ever hear. God put His perfect love for you on display in that even while you were still sinning, you were still sinning. Christ died for you. Jesus had promised to lay his life down. John 10, he talks about that. He says, uh, he says, no man takes my life. I lay it down and I'll take it up again. And that was a statement, a promise that was to show that he wasn't simply a victim of a brutal crime, but he was and is powerful enough to conquer death and the grave all of your mess. 
And here's the crazy part. Jesus did rise from the dead. And you know what he's doing right now? Somebody say, what is Jesus doing right now? What's he doing? Praying. The Bible teaches that he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of you right now. How much does prayer matter? To Jesus, it matters. Right now, it matters. Even in heaven, He's spending time talking to the Father on your behalf. So three takeaways as we begin this time of fasting and praying. Here's how I want to encourage you. Some next steps for us. First thing, choose. I'm using that word on purpose because that's the word Jesus used. He said, Mary has chosen the one thing that's necessary. So here's what I want to tell you. Choose to make Jesus your number one priority. He said, don't worry about all that stuff. If you'll seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added. I'll take care of all that. You seek me and I'll handle all of that. Make Jesus your number one priority. During these 21 days, I want to encourage you um, to do a daily devotion. I don't know if you do that, but I want to encourage you. We started this morning with a daily devotion. There's about 40 of us in it right now. I would love to see if you're not already in it, you're welcome to jump in. The way that works is we read a little scripture together. There's a a little devotional guide and then you pray and then there's a, a, an area for you, if you want to, to type in, to text in a little response. And it goes. To, everybody can read it. It's available for everyone to see. And it's encouraging. This morning I was reading through four or five of your comments. I was very encouraged by what the Lord's doing in your life. And what I want to tell you is to make Jesus your number one priority. You need to, you need to wake up and go to Him. Like don't go anywhere else. Don't go to Facebook or social media. Go to Him first. And I want to give you a platform to do that. Would you join us in that little devotional app? Um, if you want to jump in on that, you can see me. I'll be glad to send you the link right after we finish. Or Leslie or many others. I think Bart is in on it. We'll give you a link and you just basically pull it up on your phone or any device you have. Um, and you can jump in on that. It's on our Facebook page. There's a link there as well. Okay, So... Uh, Make Jesus your number one priority. Second thing, I want to challenge you over these 21 days to pray like Elijah and to pray like Jacob. I want you to pray crazy stuff. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. God stopped the rain. I can honestly say I've never prayed that except for just then. <laughs> I like never. Elijah prayed some crazy things. I want you to pray big Stuff. You know, the, the size of your prayer shows what you think about who you're praying to. Do you think He's able? Pray big, crazy stuff. And then pray it like Jacob did. God, I'm not letting go. I'm going to keep knocking till you come to the door. I'm going to be passionate and persistent in my prayer. Pray like that. Be devoted to a time 
That's what we see with Jesus. A certain place, a certain time. He, he was giving Himself to a devoted time and place to be passionately persistent in His prayer. Would you pray that kind of midnight hour prayer? And then thirdly, last thing and we're finished. Trust God completely. We pray like that. We pray passionately and then we just leave it with Him. It's one of the reasons we chose this verse is because a lot of life brings with it anxiety and trouble and stress and we're worried about this or that. We've got a doctor's appointment or surgery or this or that coming on and we're anxious, we're nervous, we're worried. And the Bible says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray. And leave it there. God's in control. You're not. And that's the point. Let it go. Once you've prayed your heart out, just leave it there. Leave it with the Father who knows how to give good gifts. He won't give you a scorpion. He won't give you a snake. How much more is He a good Father? Some of you in this room maybe um, need to trust God completely for the first time. Like with your salvation. I want to tell you... um, Every one of us are sinners. Every person in this room has fallen short of God's plan for us. Every one of us. And every one of us need to be rescued from our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And when it says that, it's talking about eternal punishment. That's the wage, the earning for our sin. But the gift of God... Not an earning. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so maybe for you today, today may be the day where you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you. Do that. Trust Him completely.